Listener Production. Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and this is how the show starts. I ask my guests who they are. So who are you? Uh, hello, I am um, I am Joel Creasy, hand model extraordinaire. Hello, hand model extraordinaire Joel Creasy. I enjoy Thank that. You. Have you done any hand modelling? No, I haven't. I haven't. I, I did a bit of um. I had a real um, like Chris Jenner type of mum who like like a real mummager when I was younger. Signed me up to the local acting agent uh-huh. in Perth, Karen. There's only one, and um, <laughs> and I got a few like um, junior modelling campaigns, and then. I, um, I got a bit too limp-wristed and lispy for them, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know this is a still shot, but we can tell that the wrist is a little limp in this campaign, so yes. we can't hand model. How are, <laughs> how are your hands, though? Like, if you were to get some hand modelling opportunities right now, are you the sort of person who takes care of your hands? Like, when you look at your hands in front of you right now, what do you see? They're a bit better. So my... Um, you know, a lot of comics you drink before they go on stage or pace or I chew my hands, mm. which is awful probably if you've ever followed me on stage and I've handed you the mic. Apologies, Bill. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, but they have gotten better. Um, but I, I, I'm very attracted to people's hands. I think people say, I don't know, I find like a good pair of hands very comforting. What are you, so I, I, I'm quite fascinated by this topic because at the moment I have a whole bunch of like bites and scars on my hands, but since... I've never been a person who believes in New Year's resolutions. However, yeah, no, neither. Here you go. Yeah. I'm now going to give you an argument that's contrary to the point that I just made because for 49 years of my life, I thought that was a pretty good theory. But on January 1st this year, I decided that I was going to stop biting my fingernails. Not in a time of COVID when you know everyone was encouraging you not to touch your face with your fucking fingers. No, oh yeah, didn't, that's right. I, oh my god, I forgot. About I didn't that. do it then. No, 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 no. I decided. <laughs> Well, after that was done, was the time to stop biting my fingernails. But because I had done it all my life, I felt so addicted to it and I thought I was never going to be able to break the habit. And so I decided for my New Year's resolution to stop biting my fingernails this year. And it is now, as we speak, the end of July and I have not bitten my fingernails. How's that? Oh, that's just cold turkey. So I read this book. And look, I'm oversimplifying the yeah. point, but the thing that resonated mm. with me, because I've tried everything. I've been to hypnotherapy. I've like. Well, I was going to say, I'm having hypnotherapy at the moment for the body. Yeah. I used to wear nail polish, which was literally because like it stopped me from biting oh, my yes. fingernails so much. Like I yeah. like I tried that one that tastes bad, you know, that you're meant to put on your fingers that oh, tastes yeah, bad. Oh, yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah. I thought that was just an urban myth. No, the, that, it's, a real, that one. it's a real thing, but much like, <laughs> you know, coffee, cigarettes and alcohol, it's an acquired taste. Yeah. After a while, you actually are like, you know, this is not too bad. I'm used to it now, right? Yeah. It's got a real umami flavor. And yeah, so, <laughs> you're addicted to that. So I, um, yeah, I read this book and essentially the kind of key takeaway was he said, you've just got to imagine yourself as a person who doesn't bite their fingernails. So when you wake up tomorrow, you're a person who doesn't bite their fingernails anymore. And he said, if it helps, take care of them a little at the start, go and get yourself a manicure or whatever. I didn't even bother doing that. I just have been cutting and filing them myself. But I did. I just like woke up one day and I was like, I don't think I don't bite my fingernails anymore. And now seven months in, haven't bitten my fingernails. How's that? Yeah, that's amazing. Right? Oh, now I want to be – oh, yeah, that's – 
that's that's inspirational. I because uh, I want to be a person that files my nails because I feel like that's completely on brand for me. And, you know, just to be sitting in the corner filing my nails, waiting to go on stage at Spleen or something. And, uh, and but no, I, I chew them right down. Yeah, but they're, you're, they're good you're right. It is off-brand for you to chew. Like, I, like are you, it's off-brand. you in the corner being all glamorous and fantastic and fabulous while filing your nails waiting to go on stage gives a very <laughs> different energy to biting them nervously in the corner. I know. Yeah. Being like, oh, God, yeah. Following. <laughs> uh, but what else, what I've gotten into recently, and it has helped with the nail biting and everything, and I'm going to be that wanker that um, – that says it, but I love, I've become a real ice bather. Like I love ice baths um, <laughs> and not in the way that some people do. Uh, <laughs> like, a, like I've just got a blow up pool in my, in my shower mm. and I sit in there in the ice for half an hour every day and it has changed my life and I hate myself for saying that. So firstly, like, like before we get to actually how it all works, like talk to me about the philosophy behind it. Why did you decide one day? Because this is the sort of choice that you do for some reason. You don't just one day wake up and think, I would like an icy bath. So what set you out on this path? <laughs> I put on some weight at the end of last year and quite a bit actually and, um, and was looking to lose it. Um, and someone said, ice baths, they, an ice bath activates the brown fat beneath the white fat. It gets moving. And I was like, great. Anything where I don't have to be in the gym, I'll, I'll try. And so, um, I'm, I got in and I did like three minutes the first time and, and I've become completely addicted to it. And it's great for sleep and great for it's, like a huge dopamine hit in the afternoon. So I do that before I kind of go in to do radio. And, um, but I feel like a tool. Like the other day, I didn't, I, I didn't have the right eye. So I had to use my, I have like nice ice blocks, big square ones for like, you know, a Negroni or something. And I was sitting there with the, with the beautiful ice cubes yeah. in there. I felt like a garnish. I'm just like, <laughs> like an old fashioned. So ice bathing is my new, uh, is my new, Mental health tip. Uh, do you just ice bath or do you do some sort of like Wim Hof breathing along with the ice bath? Well, I thought I would have to, but maybe it's just I've just become numb <laughs> over the years from existing. <laughs> but I don't really feel anything. And my partner gets in for 30 seconds and then it like screams yeah. and can't move for the rest of the day. And I'll, it's easier to stay in than get out, to be honest. Like once I'm in there, yeah, I love it. I watch CNN on my phone just to catch up on the news, sit in the ice bath, feel real up myself intellectual because I'm a I'm a Wim Hofer watching CNN. I'm I'm, I'm nailing life, um, but I'm actually just nude in in my bathroom. In a, in a in a kids paddling pool. Okay, and so where do you get this ice? Like, how much ice do you need for an ice bath? Um, I well, I sometimes make big bricks in like an ice cream container. Yeah. That's rather uncomfortable. Okay. Um, I've got a, I've got a service station two blocks from my house, a location, okay. location, location. So <laughs> I'm, there, I'm there every day buying bags of ice. They must think I'm constantly having a bender. <laughs> Never there for petrol, just ice. But have you found that like, you know, because you say you do it before work, like, you know, have you genuinely found there's been like, you know, measurable increases like that you feel like are productive to you in your work energy in your day? Um, 
Yeah, survey results. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm asking. How have the surveys correlated with, with the bath? So I've got, I'm just putting a graph together on my computer. So tell me when the bath started and then I'm just going to track yeah. the ratings around the country. <laughs> Um, it just, I don't know, it gets me, it, it puts me in a real, it just a really great, it's like a, like you just had a really strong coffee. Okay. And, um, yeah, because I'm a, prior to doing radio, I'd only been a stand-up comic and, you know, and I'd hosted TV shows, but they're kind of, you know, two weeks at a time, you know what you're in for, you get it done. Um, now doing radio every day, I've realised I'm a sprinter, mm. uh, like a, like a stand, like a stand-up's a, a sprint. And um, and I'm not a marathon runner, and so uh, you know, if I'm if I'm up and I've got you know a social media campaign to shoot in the morning, I am rooted by the afternoon, and I need an ice bath. And when I say social media campaign, it's like a selfie on my phone, you know, for old El Paso. Yeah, social media um, campaign. But, That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I, it takes me five minutes, and I'm. I'm, I've got to go back to bed or get in the bar. Okay, so talk to me about that because it was really interesting what you just said about like and you know radio has been a very natural place for comedians over the years, but I think one of the more confronting things is the amount of ideas that you like. I mean, sometimes as a comedian, you know, you take a whole year to put together one hour of solid ideas, like you know, yes. and you're considered to be yes. somebody who is very prolific if you manage to get an hour of good ideas <laughs> yeah. done every year. Oh, People yeah. are like, that guy's amazing. Like, wow. Oh, oh, you tell the Americans that, and they're like, what? Yeah, I've never had an hour. Yeah. I'm like, you're <laughs> but radio, you're filling what two? Do you do two hours on air a day? Is it more than that? We were, we were three, yeah. and now we're two, we're two this yeah. year. Um, and and I'm complaining about that. I'm complaining about two hours. No, I mean it's, it's more the me just getting to the four pm uh-huh. that I struggle with. Once I'm there, Doctor Footlights kicks in. But um, yeah, I I just get. It's just from years of conditioning my body to doing either five-minute spots and or hours or, 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 you know, half-hour headlines. I just I, – I can't do it. Well, <laughs> I so... think it's the – to me it's always the intermittent nature of it, right? Whereas I would find doing an hour of radio more draining than doing an hour of a podcast because at least for the hour of the podcast, like I'll be tired at the end of it, but at least for the yes. hour we keep doing it. So you have that time yeah, where totally. you stop down and then you have to get up mm-hmm. again and then you have to do your thing and then you just stop down and then you have to get up again. Yeah. If I if we yeah, if we if we stop down too long, I find if we don't if we're not chatting through the songs and the ad breaks, it's the yeah, the energy can slump a bit. Um but yeah, luckily there's always someone around around to chat. I mean, radio feels like you've landed in a job in particular with the job that you're doing that feels very suited to who you are and where you are in your life. Have you found it to be like, I mean, I I don't mean the actual process and the daily of the radio and, and all of that thing. I just mean you as a person. Like this would have been, I imagine, some sort of ambition to get some, you know, good regular like profile job like this. Now that you have it, and it isn't just like yes. two weeks of shooting a TV show or anything. This is, yeah. you know, this is your job job. You go to it, you know, yeah, 30, 30 odd weeks of the year and like you go there five days a week and you have to be there. You can't yeah. just say I'm not coming into all those, nope. you know, there's meetings and requirements and, you know, standards yes. and clauses and people to answer to <laughs> and all the things that come with an actual job. Have How have yeah. you found that? I've, I, I, it's been, a, it has been a change because I, as you know, as a stand-up comic, we are 
I, I am, I was my own boss for so long. And, um, but I, I have loved it. I mean, I started um, in lockdown, in stage four lockdown, when we had the 9 p.m. curfew in Melbourne. Uh, I had to, uh, the station at the time was three blocks from my house, but I still had to have my permit in the car to drive there. Uh, no one in the building hadn't, you know, I'd met, uh, I, when I started it was uh, Tim Blackwell and Kate Ritchie, I'd met Kate two or three times in my life. Uh, I knew Blackers for years. But then, um, you know, day one, first show, 4 p.m. in or 3 p.m. at the time, in and live. Like there was just, there, there, was, there was no, Marty finished on the Friday, I started on the Monday, there was no changeover period. It was all so intense. And then the only thing I could do, I couldn't go out and pop a bottle and celebrate with my mates. All I could do was go home and doom scroll how bad I was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, no. And it was awful in that period. But I've, I don't know, I've kind of come to like the 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 daily sort of um, repetition of it because I can, I don't know, it, it, it's it's made me accountable a little bit each day. And uh, whereas, you know, back in the day when I was purely doing stand-up, it was, you know, you've got all day to sleep in, lie in bed, do absolutely <laughs> fuck all. So, um, yeah, it's got uh, me up and about. You, you talk about the doom scrolling. How much of that is real and how much of that is, like, for comic effect? Like, were you – because the toughest thing you can ever do in radio, and I've spoken to many people about this, is – like um, take over from someone. I mean, I've done it myself over the years, like step into a job that was, and even if the person whose job it is, like for your case, for example, the person was leaving, you know, you hadn't yes. white anted them. They hadn't been kicked out of the no. building. They were moving on. Yeah. Uh, and, but even in that circumstance, you are not them and you certainly are not Marty Sheargold. I mean, it's not like they went for a like-for-like <laughs> like replacement, you know. They're like, no. who's, who's the yeah. most Marty Sheargold-like of the rest of Australian <laughs> comedians? Joel Creasy, naturally. Um, so did you – how much feedback did you take on board? Well, actually more – I reckon more than I let on. Because, um, uh, yeah, like – it was so relentless. If I'd known what I know now, uh, God, it would be so much easier. Um, but uh, it was so relentless. It was so personal. It was people were like diving into dams of my family um, and and my partner. And um, so, yeah, I really, I, I really took a lot of it to heart. Um, particularly people saying like, "Oh, Joel's." Joel's, you know, this lefty lunatic coming in, and I was like, "What?" What part of my stand-up? And yes, I do lean that way. But have you ever seen me live? Like, I'm not Tom Ballard. Like, and I'm not. I'm not a comic that has ever t- tackled political issues because I believe that my job is to make the audience laugh and um, and give them a, a you know a little escape for an hour. Because I'm not smart enough to do political comedy. I know my lane. So when I've got all these people attacking me and saying that I'm going to have the um, the, the network's going to be shut down as a result of me. I was like, oh, this is too much. But I've replaced as well before because Miff, Miff Warhurst and I replaced Sam Pang and Julia Zamiro on Eurovision eight years ago, but oh, people are hanging on to it. And, uh, and it's like, yeah, I love them too. But I didn't kill them. They're still actively working. So chill out, guys. It's a singing okay. competition. 
like every poor person yeah. at Triple J who ever got like bring back Adam and Will or whatever, and you're like, Adam and Will left, guys. <laughs> like they didn't get kicked yeah. out. They left. They were old men and they yeah. decided to go somewhere else. <laughs> oh, I know. I had someone t- tweet me the other day being like, bring back Terry Wogan to your vision. I'm like, he's dead. Like, what <laughs> more can I do? <laughs> So this idea of like because you are now in a feedback, you know, environment, like you you begin professional feedback as well. You know, that's, you know, like that's another thing about accountability, right? You get feedback from people who, you know, some of whom who probably know lots of things, some of whom occasionally will probably say something to you that you – have to bite your tongue to not respond to or maybe don't bite your tongue to not respond to, but how do you deal with feedback in general, not just public feedback, that online feedback, but just the whole idea of receiving feedback in its various forms? Well, I, oh, I, I hate feedback. I'm, I'm, I run, like, that's why I love stand-up comedy. It really is a solo sport. And I played tennis growing up and um, I've realised that I'm not a team player. Uh, I'm, I'm a, <laughs> but I've had to become one. I have had to become one. And I'm, and it's, and I, I always kind of like looked on at my friends because I've got a, a lot of my friends aren't in comedy. They're more in, you know, either in drag or music theatre. And um, I look on at my friends in music theatre and I'm like, oh, I'd love to be part of a cast. And, and have that. We don't really have that at stand-up comics. So I've become I've become a team player. But, yeah, the feedback, I'm not great at biting my tongue. I'll always do the, you know, as a comic, um, I'd like to let you, like, as the professional funny person in the room, that's actually not correct what you're saying to me. Um, but, like, what was great about starting over is no one could get into the building, yeah. so no bosses could get near me, uh, and they really kind of let me find my own place in the show, and that was great. And now... Uh, you know, now when they do give us feedback, it's, you know, I do go, hey, they're employing me. Cop it on the cheek. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Well, it's um anyway, it's very lovely to have you on this podcast. I appreciate it very much. I, the loose conceit of uh, what we do here is I ask people if they have a life philosophy of any kind. It can be in regard to anything, but uh, do you have one? Uh, yeah, I've, I've got like two. Uh, I'm a very much like a you-could-die-tomorrow person. I know it's pretty basic. Um, but I, that was, well, perhaps that was more my twenties now come to think of it, like very, just go hard, make them, make the most of it. Like I was so, uh, impatient and I, maybe I made that my life philosophy to sort of, um, get away with my impatience. Um, right. I get that though. You could die tomorrow. Like that is like a young person's idea. And then there's a point in your life where you realize if I keep going like this, I could die tomorrow. Like, <laughs> that's the difference, that's right? That's so true. Yeah, that's when it flips. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and my other one is um, I just like to I, – I, I've never been able to economise this to make it like a real great great and quippy and, and, and say all the time, but I like to view the world as um, glass half empty, but it's a glass of wine and I've had – the other half, and I'm a little bit tipsy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so it's not quite a bumper sticker yet. It's a bit too wordy. But there's something in it. Yeah, I, I know <laughs> what you mean, but it, it's, what, is, what does that actually mean to you? Like in regard to these philosophies, how did they guide, you know, how you actually live your life? I, well, I, you know, I'm just a person that's a, you know, I, I'm a pessimist. But I'm a, I'm a happy pessimist. Um, 
and that, you know, that wants to party hard and die tomorrow. So, uh I don't know. I guess I guess that's uh, that has informed a lot of my stand up comedy, and I don't know. I kind of I, I, I like seeing the world that way and seeing the world with all its flaws and and but being able to laugh at every single one of them. Yeah, I mean, there's an element of realism, but with humor, right there, like where you're just seeing see, you're not pretending that the world isn't like broken and flawed and fucked up and contradictory and all these sort of things, but that your approach to that is yeah. Of course it is. Like, you know, let's get on with things. So I'm very interested in, like, you know, you talked about that particularly early on, living your life, you know, I, I could die tomorrow. I want to, like, do as much of this as quickly as I can do this. And were you an ambitious person? Like, did you have, like, great ambition? Because oh, you've certainly been, like, yes. successful. And I, is, has, has it been driven by ambition? Yeah, oh, big time. And, um, and, and my... I think my style of comedy has evolved. Has evolved. Yeah, evolved's yeah. okay. No, uh, yeah. this is a safe okay, space. This is an okay place okay. for evolved. I'm happy with that. Okay, I won't use journey, don't worry. <laughs> um, but I feel I used to do like my book. My, my I didn't. I wrote an autobiography when I was 25. I've read um, it. It's very uh, good, actually. Though. Oh, have you? Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, called Confessions of a Fame Whore. All my stuff was very much, you know, celebrity gossip, and I, I want to be this, and I'm on the, I'm on, I'm on this red carpet, and I've kind of moved on from from that a little. Yeah, like I, I was so ambitious in my 20s. It was work, work, work. I would push everything out of the way. I would be, I'd be yes to the six a.m. interview, to the getting to the airport. Let's get to that that gig, and then yeah, I'll do that. Yes to that TV. The N and the O were broken on my keyboard. Like I was just go go go. Um, and but again, I, I had the energy, um, and and really at that point wanted to be a stand up like like internationally famous like worldwide the biggest comic on planet earth and i've 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 reined that back in now and gone hey i'm pretty comfortable with my life and what's going on and i'd love to do the you know the great a great tv show or a great a great theater piece here and there but i'm pretty content whereas i would not have said that five years ago i would have slapped myself for saying well but yeah okay so but now now i'm interested in because i'm very interested in the the role that ambition plays in like success, you know, like, and, but then, then also when ambition becomes an anchor and it sounds like what you've done is actually quite a healthy thing, like really honestly, quite a mentally healthy thing, which is to acknowledge that you're happy with like what you have rather than measuring against, like, I mean, you know, I think everyone who's done comedy or been on stage or whatever at some stage has this flash of maybe I could just be the best person ever at this and that'd be great. But if you oh, yeah. like measure your entire success based on that you're not the best person in the world at it, and I've certainly been guilty of this in my life of just going, yeah, yeah but I'm not the best <laughs> in the world at it. And you're like, yeah, because that was a completely unrealistic thing to think in the fucking first place. It was handy to get you to where you are now. But if you keep deluding yourself, that that's the journey that you're on you're just going to be unhappy so how did you get your head around that because that seems like a very mature like sometimes you know sometimes you see people who are still ambitious well beyond when it's I mean I'm not saying you don't have yeah. ambition now I'm just saying it's readjusted yeah. to a more natural level whereas there are some people who just keep going at that level forever oh yeah 
I don't maybe because I was lucky to have so many opportunities in in my in my in my early twenties as well, um, and and kind of have have a pick of what I wanted to do at one stage. Um, I I think I got a lot of it out of my system and and wore myself down, and then it was it was probably COVID that really um, kind of made me stop and take like kind of take it all in. And I remember at one stage saying to Jack, my partner, like we're moving back to Perth. Like, just like get your head around that. Like in a few months time, this is, this is going to go on forever. We'll be moving back to Perth and I'll be doing breakfast radio in Perth. And, um, and, and, and then, and then drive came along. But uh, yeah, I think it was, I think it was COVID that made me go, made me take stock of so much stuff in my life and go, mm, yeah, maybe like I, I still, I love, love doing stand up comedy, but I, I don't think I want to be, you know, getting on a plane every two seconds to go and do this festival and that festival in the hope that a talent scout might see me and then take me to LA so then I can go and do all the meetings again that we've all done a million times <laughs> and, uh, and 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 be t- promised the world, which I've had. I've, I've gone and done all those go-sees with Fox and, and, and all of them and where they say, you know, oh, we've never had anyone like you walk in here. We, you know, you, you're going to get whatever you want and then you never hear from them again. Uh, ever and um, I don't. I don't need to do that again. I'm good. Like if if someone over there picks me out and goes for sure, here we go. Absolutely, I'll, I'm at the airport. Tell tell me what time. But otherwise, uh, yeah, I'm 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 fine. I'm I'm good here. I've got stuff to watch on telly. Uh, it's interesting to me when someone has success at a young age like you did. Uh, like you, on one hand, that's the the perfect scenario, right? You want that. Like, of course, yeah. you start do, totally. doing something and it, it starts to work and there's success around it. But it also means that sometimes you're thrust into things that you're not ready for. Like, because, and, and you'll say, like you said, the N and the O were broken on the keyboard, right? Like, yeah. so sometimes yeah. you will just say yes to anything. Did you end up in situations where you were suddenly like, oh, you know what? It would have been maybe better if I got off. If I'd been offered this two years from now or five years from now, I would have been in a better position to take advantage of this or nail this. Oh, or for sure. I, 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 the year after I did I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here, I went back and hosted the after show called I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here Now. I mean, how do they think of this stuff? And, uh, and it was – it was like the it was the poor sister to the main show, and it was like we were told it was going to be on the main channel, and then it was moved. It, it never was, and I just and then it wasn't going well over there. And I was twenty five, and it was kind of my first live presenting job, uh, and I I just I couldn't I couldn't handle it, and and it was just it was just an awful experience i was i was just i was just i was just a frazzled hot mess um and whereas a few years down the track i probably could have handled myself better and and and, and made it work uh whereas instead i just you know plummeted with the ratings <laughs> when you have <laughs> the, you know, hiccups along the way from yeah. these sort of things i actually get hiccups quite like <laughs> literal hiccups all the time really like like all like the time. chronic sort of hip, or do, do they just chronic come in? All day. Do they keep going? 
all day. Yeah, they'll come in. I'll get rid of it. I've got one trick that kind of works where you put the water on your bottom lip and you, you, you drink it between your legs and, um, <laughs> and all day to the point that Jack will be saying to me on the couch, can you shut up? And I'm like, I'm in pain. Yeah, Don't say that to me. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I'm not doing this yeah. for fun. Like I, if I could, it's not if fun. I could shut up, I would definitely stop doing this. <laughs> yeah. I've been to the GP about it. Yeah. Like oh, that's how concerned I was about my, my chronic hip hiccups um but yeah hiccups along the way i don't know i they do they absolutely rattle me because i'm i, I invest if if I, I do get booked for show i invest all of myself in it and um and take you know it's take it very personally so um when it doesn't work i get a little yeah i definitely get you know a little bit slapped around and and um, upset for sure. How long does it uh, take you to recover from that? Like, is that something that sticks with you for a while, or is it something that you can kind of go, okay, I put everything into this, everything comes out, and then I can move on? Or is it like, you know, does it, do you carry it around with you? Oh, so, some I've carried around for a, a couple of years. Um, and then some I, I, I've carried around for, a couple of months. Obviously, that one was one that I'd carried around for a long time because I really wanted to make it. I so wanted to make it work. But others, I very much until I've got a new festival show. It's then it's out of my system because all my stuff's autobiographical and 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 I always think I get a double bite out of a job. So say I'm booked to host a TV show. Uh, the, uh, I then will make that turn that into stand up about what happened behind the scenes, and it'll be some sort of therapy for me and the audience. And uh, but yeah, I'll get I'll get a lot of it out of out of myself uh, out of my system rather during a festival season because um, basically my show each year is what happened to me the year prior. I've mined my my youth for great stories. Well, so, I mean that's the problem when um, you write an autobiography at age twenty five. <laughs> I know, and you spend the advance before you've written and put a single word on the page. I will tell you though that that book is really, really entertaining. Like it's super entertaining. Oh, it's thanks. really well written. It's got so many good jokes in it, and it's actually super entertaining. And yes, of course, there is some sort of hubris for somebody so young to be writing about their life. But, oh no! But uh, but that's great to me. It's. Like there are some older comedians who are like, oh, look at this person. They're doing their thing about turning 30 like no one's ever turned 30 before. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, we all did it because when, when you're know. 29, turning 30 is a really fucking big deal. So, of course, you're going to talk about it. Like everybody – like, and I think when we deny these things, when we say, oh, this is this young person, like it was even like say – I don't know who's a good example. Lena Dunham. Remember when Lena Dunham was writing, and everyone's like, "Oh, she does this, and she's like this, and she makes these." And I'm like, "Yeah, she's a young woman. She's like, and at some stage, like ten years from now, she'll probably look back on some of it and go, you know, and shiver." But like, yeah. let's let people do that, right? Like that's like that's part of it. Like for yeah. sure, uh, Reese Nicholson has the has the best gag. Um, he says we are. I mean, it's not a gag. I think this is the setup to it. But he says we are all all the oldest we've ever been. So that's why we all feel so. That's why you feel yeah. old. You're the right now. You're the oldest you've ever been. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, I never really thought about it that way. Um, <laughs> but now my my boyfriend's turning thirty, and I I found myself doing a bit of the oh, 
it's not that big a deal. <laughs> uh, I mean, it is. It is party wise. I've I've been working on this okay, party for good. months. It's so ridiculous. Uh, dogs riding a jet ski out onto stage. It's yeah. There's a lot going on. Um, you know, there's 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 musical performances and fucking people in silks. Uh, but yeah. I think let people discuss, you know, what what is happening to them right now. It's it's like people have have said to me and Reese and Tom and a lot of a lot of gay comics over the years. All you talk about is being gay, and it's like no, I'm just talking about lived experiences. Just because I say the word boyfriend on stage, that's not gay comedy. That's just my life. Well, so that's what I that's yeah. what I would suspect. I mean, you know, some of that left wing comedian is going to take down this radio station. <laughs> I think is probably code for. He talks about being gay publicly, and then some people, and then some yeah. people who probably just thought you were Tom Ballard because they can't tell the difference between <laughs> gay comedians, right? <laughs> like, like, well, <laughs> I've had Josh for so long, and I just, uh, you know, I loved you on um, uh, talking about your generation, and now it's just easier to go. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Oh yeah, than, mate. I, 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 I'm always telling advice. people how Alan and Miffa. I'm like, yeah, they're great. They're doing great. I'll definitely pass it on. <laughs> I know. I, I was in um, I was in uh, New York at Christmas, which was lovely, and I was uh, I was buying some uh, some 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 jeans, and uh, the the lady was chat was wanted to chat, and um, and I was getting oh, we had like a tour booked, and it was getting she was really like taking her time, and she said, oh, so what do you do? And I was like, oh, I'm in broadcasting which is a weird thing to say. I should have just said, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a writer. And um, and she goes, what sort of broadcasting? And I said, oh, t- uh, t- television. Uh, and, and I don't know why I picked that over radio. And then she goes, what sort? And I said, and then I was like, oh, look, I'll just, I'll just try and explain yeah. the project to her uh-huh. and pretend I'm a full-time cast member on there. But she goes, oh, like, good morning, America. And I was like, where are, you, where are you going with this? And so I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah. She goes, do you host Good Morning Australia? I'm like, yeah, yeah. So now she's going, what time do you get up? And I'm going, I've, I've got this elaborate live, oh, I'll get up at three in the morning. And well, how long does it take you to get to, oh, like, oh my God, if she searches me. <laughs> or Good Morning Australia. <laughs> yeah, I think she'll, the details will be hard to find because she'll start with Good Morning Australia and meet a pretty <laughs> dead end there. <laughs> She got the sale, though. She got the commission. Hey, so I am fascinated by, you know, you talk about this idea of planning this big party um, for your partner for his 30th and uh, talk to me about, you know, relationship, love, you know, doing something for someone else, like, you know. Well, I I, I love it. I love it. I love a party because I love – if I wasn't in stand-up or in in the – media space i'd probably be in events because i actually love the planning of it and the and what what can i do that's different to other other people and and how can i just give people like a i love i just love seeing people have a good time and um and that's why i've always loved throwing birthdays and parties and and every festival i've always thrown a party for my show um one night and, and i've always tried to do like weird different things for for people to get there um and 
So for Jack, it's great because it's not about me because I hate it when it's about me. I don't want to be saying, you know, thank you all night and, yeah, oh, you're turning mm-hmm. 30, big deal. I'm, I'm in the perfect position. I'm one away yeah. from the action. I'm like, you know, I'm not George Clooney. I'm his best mate. And uh, <laughs> so just get to cash in on all the good shit. And, uh, and so it's been a process, the party, um, and he's got he's, – he's really into K-pop. Uh-huh. So we're trying, I'm trying to find <laughs> – I'm trying to find a friend that can sing a K-pop yeah. number, and um, and but we've been together for like six and a half years. So um, yeah, it's it's a big one. Like all the families are coming. For, he's from New Zealand. Uh, my family coming over from Perth. Um, so look, uh, ho- hopefully it goes to plan. We're pushing we're pushing the numbers at the moment, but and the budget. <laughs> <laughs> It's good just that it has a budget, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, well, I don't think it does because uh, it, the budget seems to really move around a lot. Right. Yeah. When you say move around, you mean mostly in one direction, I imagine, rather yeah, than around. Yeah, in one direction. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, um, yeah up and up and up. And, um, and it's still a few weeks out. What do you like with money? I remember reading, if I remember this properly, your parents like own McDonald's, right? Right? Is that yeah. like not all yes. of McDonald's, but some some of McDonald's? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they own they own some yeah. in, in WA right. and some supermarkets and other yeah. things. So look, I, it's been I don't come from the traditional Aussie battler comic background, and but I I've, I learned a lot from my parents. Um, they came from nothing. Uh, they're from the UK. Uh, my dad's from Essex and my mum's from Gloucester. They yeah they were two out of work actors. Um, that really landed on their feet in Australia. So my dad's very organised, very, very meticulous. Uh, He's great. He's great with money. Um, And I am completely unlike him. Money and numbers to me are like hieroglyphics. Like they just like, they just go like that on the page. I can't understand them. So what I do is I just, this is why I think maybe I've pushed myself so much. If I keep working, I just know that there's something coming in. So as long as I'm doing, if I'm, as long as I'm doing something, um, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I'll be able to pay the yeah, bills. I'm currently working, um, so I assume that I can at yeah. some stage pay for this decision I'm making. Yeah, for sure. But then I, I, I was saying to someone the other day, I'd love to find a way to make money which doesn't require me being upright. Like I'd love to find, I'd love to be making money in my sleep. But the only time I ever make money is when words are coming out of my mm. mouth and I'm I'm physically doing something. I mean, you can pre-record words. Like I mean, you need some. If you had some sort of sleep tape or sleep thing that like, oh yeah, maybe. Do you know what I mean? Like my voice would be so relaxing for people. I mean, it could be if you're yeah. reading the right thing. If you're reading your autobiography, the auto you should do it. <laughs> <laughs> And going, oh, why did I dedicate two chapters to a boyfriend who I thought was the love of my life? Two chapters. And, like, split as well. Like, I planted early. Then there's a couple of chapters about other shit. And then, boom, the breakup. And I'm all, yeah. That's a good idea for a re-release of, like, an autobiography. Like a a five-year-later audio book where you have to reread the book that you wrote at 25 and but you can comment on... Like you know, things or add little like that's a that's oh, not a that's bad a idea. idea. Yeah, I didn't mean that. <laughs> oh, that was a lie. Typo. Um, well, I was thinking it was called thirsty, so I, maybe this one could be called parched. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> how, how when you first started doing stand up? Because like. Uh, you know, famously within the comedy scene, there are a few people who uh, famously come and do gigs and then fuck off immediately. (laughs) (laughs) I... I, <laughs> I, what can I say? I, I literally, I was, I did the John Cleese roast uh-huh. last week, oh, yeah. so I was forced out of hiding and into the clubs, <laughs> and I walked into Spleen, and uh, and Limo was like, "Oh, what, what are you doing? Why are you here?" And I was like, "Well, I'm, I'm coming too, Limo," um, and. Um, and I said, oh, I, I'm, I'm doing the right. Yeah. He goes, oh, of course you are. And um, and so, yeah, but I did get in an argument between uh, him, Limo, uh, Ballard and uh, Sam Taunton the other night about who was going on first and um, so they could leave first. And I said, well, I lodged my request with Carl 48 hours ago, so I'll be going on first. And um, and I did. And then, But then Carl stopped me for a chat outside and I was like, I can't talk. I've got to go because I can't be here when he gets off. I'm going to be well gone. Um, I just, I, I like to do my, I don't, I, it's not so much about watching the other comics. It's, I can't, I don't like being around the audience because I don't want to spoil the magic of what I did on stage. I never think I can live up to what I did on stage because I'm actually really quite shy. It sounds, no one ever believes me, quite, quite a shy, introverted person when I'm not in performance mode. So I like, do, I do believe you, and and yes. I get that. I sometimes have people like message me after the shows, like you know, not so much anymore. But in the old days, we're like, you know, I really loved your ideas. I just love to catch up, have a chat. I'm like, that's all my best ideas for a year, and I said them to you. Yeah, totally. You've already heard them, and I've curated them to, yeah, to entertain like, you. In a yeah, row. yeah, yeah. They're all my best thoughts yeah. for a year in a row. Said the best way I could yeah. possibly say them. Me in real 100%. life is going to be nothing but a disappointment to you. I know. That's what I always mm. think. So I'm, I'm going to get out. I'm going to get out before. I, at one festival, I had it down pat. I was getting home while I think people were still shuffling out of chairs. I, w- I had this whole system ready to go. I don't know. There's something about once I've done it, once I've done my stand-up, I'm like, oh, there you go. I've, I've, I've got to leave. And and you just you decipher that and you do with that what you will. But also I'm incredibly lazy. So I I don't want to stay out to – I don't – I don't want to headline. Well, that that I, you know what I love about that one is it's so funny when you first start doing comedy. There's this real hierarchy for people who don't know of like trying to build up from your five minutes open mic to like ten minutes, fifteen minutes, twenty, you know, half an hour headline or whatever it might be, right? And everyone wants to. There's this real ambition of like one day I'm going to be the guy who goes on last, and then eventually, 100%. then eventually you get good enough at it that you want to be the person who goes on first and gets the leave. Oh yeah. <laughs> so true. I remember for years being furious. I want to be on after yeah. 10, yeah. the crowd was, that's the sexy time to be yeah. on. That's like, that's the cool time. No, it's like, can I go um, on first, please? I need to go home. Oh, my God. I know. 
I'm trying to work out how er- just how early my festival show can be next year with a, with my radio show finishing at 6 p.m. I'm like, I could make a 6.05 p.m. show, surely. Uh, <laughs> the earlier the better. But we used to always joke that 9.45 p.m. during the festival was, the, was like the gay slot because we were all on at the same time at 9.45. And then the better you got, you, you, you got to get down a bit. You got the 8.30, the, the, the prime time. <laughs> um, did you find that the style of humour that you wanted to do on stage came naturally to you? Was it based on like, you know, I know that you talked about Joan Rivers and people like that being inspirational, but like was there like some style of comedy that you were trying to emulate when you first started? We all, you know, paint from our sort of, you know, experiences of watching other people. Oh, for sure. I um, very much, I like, I remember being like 15 and um, I just got my own uh, laptop and um, and YouTube uh, and I discovered Kathy Griffin. <laughs> and while a lot of, like, guys, I went to an all-boys school and, you know, all my, all my mates wanted to be, like, you know, Lighten Hewitt when they grew up or um, <laughs> whoever was, like, you know, a superstar at the time, I was like, I want to be Kathy Griffin when I grow up. So I, I wasn't like, I, I love her. It's like, I want to be her. I think she's so cool. Um, so I very much, I very much like modeled my style on a lot of those kind of, kind of great ladies of American comedy. I was always a really big fan of American comedy and, um, and yeah, that's, so that's where a lot of that fame and wanting to be famous thing, because it is a, a lot of that. It's, it is quite universal. And, um, I, but the problem was I was 16. I didn't really have a lot in the fame stakes to, to tell the audience. <laughs> um, so I was kind of pretending that I was this kind of, ugh, this this celebrity comedian, but I'm 17 years old playing the Brisbane Hotel in Perth uh, with my parents in the back row because it's a licensed venue and they've had to sign me in. So um, I sort of like I had to force my force everything that's happened to me to make some of my younger stand-up seem make sense. <laughs> <laughs> like I had to like force my way onto I'm a celebrity to get me out of here so I could actually say, oh, I'm a, ce- I, I'm a celebrity. I mean, guys, you, I- it's, you're right. Like there is, there is partly you were – you were absolutely kind of acting like you'd done all these things before you had done any of those things. 100%. It was a confidence game. I was I was lying left, right and centre. I was like, yes, yes, I have, I have done all of this. Please book me to headline. I've got five minutes um, and, and a, a plus two, mum and dad. And but what about mum and dad? Were they? I mean, they were actors, as you said. They, you know, so they obviously there was a little bit of showbiz in the family. But um, were oh, they? Yes. So were they happy to be, you know, taking you to? Did they, th- they think this was a hobby? What were they? Were they indulging you, or were they um, supporting you, or were they? What do What do you think they were thinking at the time? Indulge. I think they were definitely indulging, and. I was indulging myself because I didn't even know what was going to happen when I got on stage and and if it was going to be any good or not. Um, and I was like, I was a bit of a deluded sixteen year old. But then they became they they're incredibly supportive. Like if anything, too supportive. <laughs> uh, like <they'll, laughs> I know that's a wonderfully privileged thing to say, but they'll come to like yeah. they have been to shows in. 
Hong Kong. Right. They've come to Montreal. You perhaps have met them. They came to Edinburgh. They um, When I do shows in Perth, they'll stand at the door of the theatre and thank people for coming. And not everyone knows that they're my parents. So, you know, some people leaving the theatre think it's just the owners of the theatre being proactive. Um, so, yeah, they are great. My mum and I were actually asked to do um, Celebrity Amazing Race. We were meant to be, like, filming that at the moment, but uh, it didn't quite work with radio, and I think I would have absolutely killed it. But, um, yeah, they're, they're great. And they're, they're, they're very funny themselves, so I've learned a lot of them. Um, reality television, um, yeah, okay. So you, you wouldn't mind doing more of it though. Like, I mean, if you like amazing, is there anything other than amazing race that like, if they, if they ask you to do, you'd be, I mean, what do you like? Really? I guess the question is for me is, do you like the experience? Like, do you like the challenge of going and doing something that is like slightly out of your comfort zone or like, are you intimidated by that? Like, what's the, what, what, what do you get out of it? I think I, I don't think I'm, I'm not so interested now. Um, I, I I wanted to do them all when I in, in my twenties. I was desperate to do Celebrity Apprentice, but it never like never timed per- perfectly for me. And um, and but otherwise, I don't know. I I, I think I've had my my feel. I'd rather ho- host one to be honest than uh, compete. Yeah, there's nothing that's quite floating my boat at the moment. So I, I wouldn't say no. I wouldn't say no, but definitely. Yeah, yeah it's a different I'm, stage I'm, I'm, I'm of good your for life. Now. You're okay. Yeah, but I'm not saying I wouldn't again, guys. In fact, we can give this I'm a celebrity, get me out of here now thing at another run if you want. I think I know how to do it now. Let's, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know how to be a, a mature adult now um, and, and not not spiral when, you know, when one tiny thing goes but wrong, so d- the autocue Tell me work. about this show, that this dog show. What's going on with this dog show? <laughs> it's called new <laughs> it's called new leash on life yeah um and it was a concept by laura her name's laura viseridis or laura v um and she's a dog um she's like a dog she's just a dog expert right. she's a dog um psychologist mm. um and she's just a, a dog behaviorist actually is her is her correct title and she came up with the concept with a production company they approached me and kind of said, "Do you, does Joel like dogs?" <laughs> and um, and I was like, "Yeah, they're they're great. Um, who doesn't who doesn't like dogs?" And I did a screen test with Laura, um, but you know, very casual on Zoom, like nothing super, you know, nerve wracking. And our chemistry popped, and then somehow, you know, a few months passed, and I'm kind of on my way to Perth to do this dog documentary and I knew about I knew what it was about we were going to save dogs from pounds because after uh, legislation in Australia after seven days uh, legally the 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 rangers can put the dogs down after just seven days in the pound which is wild pounds are overflowing because of uh, COVID people going back to work people going through breakups financial situations and then there's at the same time a mental health crisis and people are looking for dogs. So it's what we call a mutual rescue and we pair up a, a, a dog in need with a human in need. That's what I knew. Flash forward to January 3 this year, I'm landing in Perth. It's 45 degrees. I'm staying with mum and dad 
and I'm out all day, every day, going into these pounds and they're such just sad, sad places. It's boiling hot. It's, you know, fluorescent lighting, just cages and, and concrete and and the bar and the barking and the anxiety in there is so intense. Um, and I'm like, what is, how am I? I just, I feel like I blinked and, and it was October and suddenly I'm in a pound in Perth on January 3rd. And um, anyway, it was, it was, it was an intense experience. It was six weeks of, of going to pounds. And then when we weren't at pounds, speaking to families about their, their lost partners or their, um, or their, you know, their disability or whatnot. And it was, it was, yeah, it was quite intense. Um, but ultimately it was a really wonderful experience and um, I know a shit ton about dogs. Well, I imagine you would have learned a lot about dogs, but obviously probably a lot about human beings and their stories as well and how to react around that as be. But as you said, you hadn't really thought about it much. Do you think it was better that you hadn't thought about it much? If you'd thought about what you were in for, would you or would like, – I mean, I'm just interested in like – I mean, because emotionally, that's a lot. Like I, even if just hearing you talk about that, I think that if that job was offered to me originally, I would have been like – Oh yeah, that sounds like a really good thing. And then I would have like sat with it for a few days and just rung back and gone, I actually don't think that I could handle the emotional weight of everything I'm going to be exposed to in making this. Like, do you think it was good that you hadn't really considered that before you got to it? Or would you have liked to have considered it more before you got to it? To- I'm, I'm glad I didn't because I'm glad, because I, I probably would have, the workload would maybe have um, overwhelmed me and I would have backed out, but I'm so glad I did it because it's I've never really been done much in the documentary space and um and not done a whole heap on the ABC uh as mum said to me one day when I was leaving for to, to do the show she goes oh working on radio and the ABC Mr Moneybags <laughs> I was like well mum it, it's it's an ABC documentary uh so maybe you know, Pull, pull it back a little, and um, and yeah, no, it was it was it was a wonderful it was a, it was a wonderful experience, but it, and it was nice to show a different side of myself. I was keen to show that I I can be a, a, you know raw and emotional and honest and have those conversations with people because a lot of networks for some reason, no matter how, I've done so much with all of them, they always still think I'm going to you know go off piece and I'm this snarky you know bitchy you know person just filing their nails in the corner who's going to come out and say something absolutely wild, which I've never had a slip up that I know of on air or never really had a faux pas on air. So, yeah, it was – I just wanted to show to people that I could do it. I think that that you're right, that there is a perception of you from people who don't follow your work. Like, I mean, if people who listen to you are on the radio, like the thing about radio is you can't keep a persona up for the amount of hours no. that you have to do radio. You learn a lot about people yeah. listening to them on the radio from what they say and from what they don't say. You oh, learn, yes. you know, about what they're really like and whether they're nice people or not nice people or what they react to or what sets them off or all these sort of things. You learn all of those sort of things. But if people don't listen to your radio show and they know you from like hosting something or like, you know, when you I'm sometimes like people listen to this show and they find it weird that it's not like done in the same style as like how I host Gruen. I'm like, yeah, 
because they're different jobs. Like sometimes, one hundred percent. So, but but do you think there is a like a misconception of you that you are yes snarkier or bitchier or whatever than you actually are or at least there's a yeah. part of you that the, the rest of the other people haven't haven't seen as much for sure i think yeah i think people think of me as the the yeah the the, the bitchy gay guy that's you know on, on the on the end of the panel show you know just firing barbs and and if I if I was you know having a good day, um, <laughs> otherwise I just sit there and become the laugh track, and you're in every shot, and people think you've done way more than you have. Um, so <laughs> I uh, yeah I do yeah I, I absolutely think there's that misconception out there, and I think that that's the reason why I haven't gotten some some jobs that I wanted, and also I've grown up in my twenties kind of. In the spotlight, well, not the spot in the spotlight, but and and very with the, all the networks knowing me and and, and knowing of my what I, what I do, and so it it was weird because there were times in my life where I was literally going through my twenties and 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 everyone was kind of watching, um, and I'm trying to work out who I am and 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 where I sit in the world. So yeah, it's it it does it like there's one uh, morning TV show on I got I've been on loads of times and they always say to me just before we come back I've hosted it I filled in as host of it and they every time we come back from ad break they go oh just a reminder no swearing yeah yeah like yeah I, I know. I know that. Like, hey, come on. Oh, Don't you know who you're talking to? I'm that. the host of Good Morning Australia. I think I know. I'm the, I'm the host of Good Morning Australia. Like, and I was like, oh, God, like, ch- yeah, chill out. That is, so, that is interesting get, yeah, you're so me. nervous. That is interesting. Comedy makes people nervous, though. Have you experienced it that? It makes people so nervous. Yes. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Like, and, and oh, don't put this in the act. It's most Dull as fuck story I've ever heard, so it won't be in the act. No, I, I could punch um, it up for you for parties if you want to. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I love punching up other people's work. I, I can punch up other people's work, but I can't punch up my own. I, I, I mean, I, I'm very happy to help other comedians, but I actually think post-comedy I would just love to have a little like like business. This is my business where I'm just like, I'll punch up your like your anecdote. Like everyone's got one or two like stories, yes. but I could like if yes. you really want to kill at the pub, you come in, <laughs> you come in and tell me your story, and I'll like punch it yes. like you know, and you take that back to the pub and see how you go. <laughs> Okay, well, you might want to come in on my business uh, idea then. I want to, um, I want to go to like the. I mean, I love music theatre, so I'm, I'm, I am a very much a cliche. Uh, but uh, I, I want to go into like the last rehearsal that that theatre shows do and teach the music theatre actors how to deliver the line, oh. like for, for the ultimate, ultimate, the yes. biggest squeeze out of the laugh they can get. Because I sit there so often, I'm going, oh, you, you've delivered it wrong. You could do it better. You could do it, but you could get double the laugh. But that it does. There is like a thing in the the musical theater, isn't there? Where it's like, or just any sort of theater. I'll tell you this: like, it's. I guess it's yeah, the nature of it. You're hitting cues. The timing needs to be a bit more rigid from performance to performance, and all these sort of things. But I remember going to see Harry Potter: The Cursed Child. It's not a musical, oh, but yeah. the play, you know. Yeah. And yeah, it's beautiful. It, well, so the not the first time I went. 
it was the audience was so into it. Like it was just one of those things where, you know, it just felt like, you know, every joke landed, everything got like a like big roar. And then the next time I went, it was a real bad crowd. And it was very like I've yes, been, I've had that I've before. been in comedy rooms where there's been bad crowds, clearly, even some of my own comedy rooms. But, <laughs> but I've never yes. sat in such a – like because you, you rarely see like a big production or a play or something like that twice. So the fact that like a whole cast would have been like, they were a shit crowd tonight, you know. <laughs> they got oh, nothing. Yeah, you know they were doing their jokes up. and like nothing was landing. <laughs> And I always feel like as well for them when they when they are doing it eight times a week, I'm like, if we're as, we as an audience aren't giving them enough, they're going to pull back. She's not going to do the key change in that number. So I'm I'm I'm, I'm giving them everything I can. Um, but yeah, oh, that's so funny about how, it's yeah. It'd be weird sitting in Harry Potter and people not just giving it their all. When I went to Harry, the opening night of Harry Potter, I was sitting in front of Magda Shabansky who had a handbag out, like just poking out into the aisle and chipped over Voldemort as he walked through the crowd. (laughs) It was wonderful (laughs) watching Sharon Strezlecki chip over Lord Voldemort. (laughs) (laughs) Like he he, he corrected himself and went along, but it's just, you know, you used to him gliding and just seeing Voldemort have a stumble. It really humanised him. I actually quite like him now. Uh, you talk about like the idea of musical theatre. Would you ever? Do you ever like harbour ambitions to like write something for someone else? It would not necessarily musical theatre, but like you know the idea of writing something that isn't for you to perform in. Like, yeah, I would love to. I would also love to. I, I, well, I'm in the in this in the process of with a friend um, opening a production company and producing sort of more. Um, musicals, not you like your big, you know, like your Harry Potters and your Wicked's and stuff. Like you sort of your next level down that you know you get off Broadway and and they never quite make it to Australia. These amazing pieces that only ever exist overseas and two flights away. Um, so I'd, I'd actually like to more get into the pr- pr- producing side, maybe because I'm a control freak. But yeah, I'd, I'd love to write. I'd love to write for other people. I I've, I had a column for a year in in the paper and and. At the time, I was like, oh, deadline. I've got the deadline. I'm always writing it, you know, two minutes before it's due. And now I miss it so much. I'd actually quite like it back. <laughs> um, but I think uh, I think they, they knew my heart wasn't in it when I, at the time. So I don't know if I'll be getting that one. <laughs> okay, well, okay, so tell me about, like, the generation of material. So you're doing the radio. Do you find that a lot of the materials generated, like, from your – real life or is it just the chemistry between the the three of you like you know is it where, where's the sweet spot like you know when you're looking at how you're filling up your bucket of creativity is like how much of it you, are you taking in with you how much of it are you creating like from the day from the spot from other people's stories from you like i mean how does how does it work when you're i guess from your point of view gathering your creative material I think, well, particularly with our show, we we um, we don't really talk about our, our personal lives. We don't. We rarely come to the show uh, with a. This happened to me today, and a, you know, and then a phone off the back of that. It's very much. It's it's a it's a it's a, it's a format. It's a it's an incredible format. Our show that's seen s- several co-hosts move mm-hmm. through it. Uh, <laughs> Tim Blackwell and I like to think of it like The View, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we will be enjoy and, you know, the cast has changed over the years. And um, <laughs> and 
so I don't go in with a whole heap because I do rely on the chemistry and whatever stories we're doing that day. But I'm all, I don't know, I'm quite a, quite a relaxed, aside from the biting of the, uh, of, of the nails, I'm quite a relaxed person. I'm always ready to kind of, I can perform at any time. <laughs> I'm, I'm always ready to go. That's why I've never, ever written in to any of my stand-up shows a projector or a prop or something because I want to be able to kind of be able to stand outside my house and do my hour. If you want. Yeah, that's right. Now yeah. when you need me yeah. to do it. I can do it now if you exactly. want. Exactly. Like, yeah, I, I, I like to be like sort of like the, like the travelling Dick Van Dyke kind of uh, Bert type showman that, that can go at any time because I, I don't know, I, I really like that old, like, I don't know. I, I, I wish I'd sort of been around 10 years before my uh, before my time because I, I don't really like social media and I, I like the old I like the old school way of of, of doing showbiz where you do that you do the clubs and you do your time in the chorus and you have to bite scratch and claw to get your way up. Uh, I do kind of I, I don't know. I think maybe yeah that showbiz mode might have suited me better. Yeah, there is something about that, and you know, certainly that idea of you being a a party organizer, a party planner, someone who likes an event or an occasion. It's you know yeah. this idea that also that even that everything needs to be done on a budget now. You know, the idea of like all these things are so cheap. I oh, know I won't have a like you know elaborate backdrop. I won't have you know big like I like someone who still brings. Like, because it's not really my forte, but I love people who still bring a bit of show business to the show business table. I think it's important when somebody's yeah. made an effort. Like, I like to see the effort. Sometimes it's good to see. And not everyone can make an effort. Like, it's like I like when Tommy Little has spent like $60,000 on some laser set <laughs> for the start of his show because no one else can really afford to do that. And that is not no, a smart decision, I but I love it. I love that he has done no. it. <laughs> I know every year I'm like, what's he got yeah. this year? What's he got this year? And what can I pinch for next year? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm all about the effort too. Because, and, you know, and it doesn't matter what size, you know, what, what venue you're playing. Like I remember when I did my very first comedy festival when I was 18, um, it was called Slumber Party. <laughs> and, um, and but I would spend the day chalking because I was playing a, a, not a festival managed venue. So I was, I was in town but not really that promoted. So I'd, I'd spend all day chalking the streets, pointing in which direction to my show. We'd, we'd, de- we'd decorate the place. We'd have like, we'd, we'd have bu- buckets of popcorn for people, which would not fly <laughs> post-COVID, um, like being passed around. And I'd, I'd pass a parcel around and people would open a, a layer and then there'd be a picture and off the back of that, that would prompt me to tell a story. Um and that was, you know, that was all really kind of like cheap and easy to do, but still gave it a, a, like a just a little bit of a elevated vibe. But yeah, I'm, I'm very aware that when people book a ticket to see me, they haven't just bought the ticket. They maybe pay for an Uber, parking, dinner, babysitter. I want to give you a show. I want to give you a, like, you know, I want to, I, I want to, I want you to get your money's worth. So that's why I always say to my audience, uh, I, like, I don't do any crowd interaction. I say, leave it like leave it. To, I'm a, like a snake. I'm more scared of you are of you than you are of me. Um, and I'll do all the work. Yeah, 
Like, you know, make me, I'll do the work for the next yeah. hour. You and just, that's also why I feel fine leaving immediately <laughs> yeah, after because I've said that at the top yeah, of the show. No, I've made it very clear. <laughs> yeah, <it's fine. laughs> I've made it very clear that I'm here for an hour and an hour and maybe an hour fast. You lay back, <laughs> you enjoy yourself, make some noises. That I literally do that. <laughs> I say kick back. I say if you want to go to the bar throughout the show, you're not going to miss anything. Nothing is that good that it can't be repeated by your friend to you later or just – just skip it. Uh, I am. I am conscious of time and the fact that you, uh, you know, talk for a living. But I have some more questions that I ask of everybody, yeah, so please. I'm going to ask you those questions now. Um, what do you think happens when we die, Joel Creasy? I actually, I had a very, very. I, I think. I, I think nothing. I just think you, you're dead. You're dead. But uh, I did hear that the light. Someone said to me the other day, the light at the end of the tunnel is actually the light of the birthing room as you come back into your next life. And I thought, oh, that's very interesting, but I'm not ready to go immediately. Like, give me a little break. I'll, I'll, like, I need a little time out and, and then I'll come back into another life. But as someone pointed out to me, it's not your life you're coming back into. I was like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> they said they wouldn't be that cruel to make you do it twice. <laughs> You might be the reward. Uh, you know, I think that's, yeah. I think you might be the, you know, somebody else acted very well last time around to get to where you are now, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you care about being remembered? Are you a person who, like, you know, like, because there's some element of being in the public that I don't know. I'm not going to psychoanalyze every aspect of what drives people to have a public facing job, but it, it like, is there an as aspect of it that's about having some sort of life beyond death regardless of, you know, whether you yourself have life beyond death? Well, uh, yeah, I do think, yeah, if you do have a public-facing job, I believe that there is a, you know, there is an element of narcissism and um, and ego there. That's why I'm always surprised when I see comics say, oh, I don't think I'm that funny. I'm like, well... You did at some stage to sign up for a comedy night. So what got you on stage? Yeah. You're like, you've got to think, you've got to believe that there's part of you that's funny. I, my, um, my one when somebody, because I would be guilty of saying that at different times, but the one that I always say if I'm being completely honest, it's I don't think that I'm that funny, but when I watch other people do it, I go, I think I'm at least that funny. <laughs> <laughs> That is so great. <laughs> I I don't know. I, I maybe I don't. I've I've never I've never been asked that question, and I guess I it has crossed my mind, but I don't know. Yeah, I guess I wouldn't mind. I'm more family and 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 friends, but I don't know. I don't. I don't think I've added much to the conversation. I've just kind of done me and and by being me it's sort of kind of given 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 something. I've I've you know I'm the only one of few gay men on on radio. I'm I've I was one of the few like few gay men hosting reality TV shows at you know 10 years ago. So um yeah, I guess for that stuff um, it was nice to, you know, help get more or more of my um, homosexual friends 
into the business. Uh, not that it needed it, but um, I don't know. I don't. No, but I, 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 I'm skirting around saying I don't really care if anyone remembers. Yeah, me I think you're allowed to say that. I, I, I certainly don't care if people. Re- in fact, yeah, I'd prefer I it to be I honest. Care. I think that it would be nice if. I could just like erase all memory of my existence when I'm done. Like when I'm dead, like yeah, other, like, it feels unfair to me that like once I'm dead, that people should be allowed to still have opinions about me, <laughs> particularly when I'm not around yeah, to defend so, myself. I know. I'm like, I, you know. Know, I don't know. You sh- if yeah. I'm dead, you should also have to forget about me. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. I'm not going to give it. I'm not going to know. Yeah. I'm not going to know. So, no, yeah. of course. You don't. Yeah. Know. yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think I was trying to give a yeah. I want to be trying to work out what I want to want to be remembered for, but I'm with you. I don't. I don't want to be. Remembered. Okay, so then, no, like, do you think there is like an evolution in you know? Because I, I think that we have very quickly normalized how revolutionary it is to like, like you said, just by being you and achieving what you've done. That in itself. Has yeah, if you can, you know, see it, you can be it, and you know all these sort of things, and it yeah, totally. it, it opens up opportunities, opportunities that I think we think are way more prevalent as a society or normalized. Like you know, if you said to somebody now, oh, like you know, like gay people in show business, they'd be like, yes, of course. But like, I just watched the Wham documentary the other night, and like, it's not that long ago that like George Michael was like literally within you know, 25 years ago, like where he had to hide who he was from the entire world. That was the world that we lived in and this was, oh you yeah, know, so. For sure. So that alone like is a bigger deal than I think sometimes that we give it credit to just exist being yourself in that world. But do you feel like as you get older that there are going to be, like, I mean, do you feel like at some stage you might, you know, talk about different things. I mean, your life's going to change. So as you said, your material's about like your life and, you know, what's just happened to you. Do you see that, you know, there might be an evolution into this like part of your personality that, you know, was involved in the dog documentary and this part of your personality that people are hearing. It Does that then give you, I guess, if people know more about you in that sense of like the broader sense, the 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 palette you're painting from, does that then give you the capacity when you're like on stage and doing stand up to bring more of that to the stage and stand up? Yeah, I absolutely think so, and that's that is what I think. Maybe for the first time last year, because I, I, this was my first year off festival um, ever uh, since I was eighteen. So, um, and it was great. I loved it, yeah. but I'm also now. <laughs> I, I, I did say to my tour agent. No. I'm, I'm, I want to do the slog next year because I did a few years of kind of doing a week at Melbourne and then and then to taking it around the country, but I haven't done the slog of every night and then doing all the festivals for a, a fair few years. But I, I'm now I'm craving it, and normally in like you know over the Christmas for me when I start I, I tend to start my tours in February. I'm not sure when you kind of read yeah off, that but, around then. Um, yeah, yeah. And so around that Christmas period, I, I'm sure you're similar, but my brain's very kind of, it, it's programmed to be thinking of of material and, and and really kind of, you know, like frantically trying to find an hour. And this year, because I, I, I didn't have a show, but my brain was very like juicy and conditioned to be like, and I was coming up with all this stuff. So I've kind of been collating things for a show uh, next year and it is all very in that mental health space. 
and and I start I discussed like depression a little bit and and being on antidepressants in my uh, in my stand up special and my last show, but I think it's a world that I'm definitely going to explore more on stage um, as opposed to you know. <laughs> I met Tina Arena the other day and she was a total bitch. Uh, <laughs> I mean, so... we still want some of that though as well, right? <laughs> oh, don't worry. There will be. There will be. Um... <laughs> but I'm sad. Yeah. You know, that okay. that's nice. Yeah, involved. I like this. Yeah, this yeah. is good. Yeah. Yeah. Might have been me. <laughs> uh, okay. So um, I'd like to ask people, uh, I'm fascinated by advice. Have you ever got a very good piece of advice or um, a very bad piece of advice? Um, I, I, I got the best piece of advice, the most basic piece of advice ever from Joan Rivers. Um, and she said to me, just be funny and everything will be fine. And it's so, so simple, but I have applied that to every shitty moment in my life. And it's all 99% of the time it has had a significant effect. Um, and I, I can remember from, the, each sequin on her body down to the colour of her nails and, 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 and how her hair, like each strand of her hair, I just remember that moment. I can vividly, like, live in that moment, which is very special. You know my terrible Joan Rivers story, right? Like, I must have told you this before, I do, because right? I remember doing your podcast back that's when right. you we were, were doing, in, living in LA. That's right. We did, uh, yes, an episode of that in LA. That makes sense. And we must have yeah. talked about it then. I knew that we'd spoken about I it. I think so, but I can't remember. So can't I was remember. doing, so it, it was way back. This must have been so long ago. So, because Adam and I were doing radio at Triple J at the time and she came in and she was a guest on the radio show and we had such a good time. She was so delightful and funny and, you know, as you can imagine. And, you know, we were talking about comedy and, you know, you know just in, I had mentioned to her that I was, a, you know, a comedian. And, of course, like at that stage, I guess I'm like 27 or 28 again. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not really yeah. a comedian. <laughs> I'm like someone who's been doing comedy <laughs> for a few years, you know. Yeah, um, you've been sniffing around. And uh, I was doing a show at the Opera House. And anyway, like I was doing a run. And so basically the way that it would work, much like you, the Joel Creasy method, but, but particularly when it's not a comedy night, like it's my own show. So I'm doing a run. So I have perfected over this run the most efficient walk off stage, like straight through picking up what I need in my dressing room, down to my car, which is parked underneath the opera house in the special place they have, get into my car, drive straight out. Yeah. I couldn't yeah. be home in my house in like 15 <laughs> minutes from me finishing this yes. show, you know, and I had it yeah. like locked down. So anyway, I'm at home <laughs> by myself watching TV yeah. and uh, I get this phone call and it's someone at the Sydney Opera House and they're like, hey, are you still here? And I was like, no, I'm, um, I'm at home. And they're like, oh, Joan Rivers and her crew came to see your show tonight and they've come backstage to say hello. Oh. Oh. What did you say? <laughs> What did you say? I, just, I said, well, I'm at home. I can't, I'm sorry. I'm at home. I, did, I didn't know. It's oh, not like wow. I knew they were coming. Like, they, no, no, of course, yeah, but, of course. <laughs> so. She, she loves, she, well, yeah. she's like, that's one thing, uh, one piece of advice I didn't, well, I didn't pick up from her. Uh, I've, I've run with the be funny thing, but um, not the go and see other comics thing. Because <laughs> uh, she loved seeing comedy. She lived and breathed it and just loved watching it. I think i, I Maybe I, I get a bit intimidated when I see other comedy and go, oh, shit, you're good. 
Well, I, I did a Christmas tour with Reese uh, Nicholson last year, and you know we're besties. And um, and I said I said to him, babe, you I'll go on first every night. Like I'm not even going to try and battle for the second half. I mean, I'm, I'll stick around. Yeah, the, the two of us. Um, <laughs> but I can't. You are so match yeah, fit. I can't. I mean, he's, hey, I'll just I'll go. I'd first. go first if I was doing a tour with Reese. <laughs> I'd be like, no. Yeah, oh, he, you. you can. I'm. He's all, like, I'm like, when do you sleep? Yeah. Like, you're always you're you're always doing comedy. Like, you're always on stage. It's so impressive. And uh, we're the same age. I'm like, well, where did my drive go? <laughs> hey, you're doing daily radio. You're you're doing fine, mate. You've yeah, got plenty I'm, on your plate. I'm you're saving dogs. Doing two hours you're a doing day. radio. Like you're like having <laughs> ice, ice baths. You, you know, how many autobiographies has oh, yes. he written? Zero, I believe. So. <laughs> well, he's got his. No, he's got his first one coming oh, out this yeah, year. Like one or one um, all, uh, later this year. But yeah, I mean, you'll be on your second one soon, so it'll be fine. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, okay. So, uh, yeah. all right. Uh, Couple more questions and then we'll be done. Thank you so much for doing this, by the way. I really appreciate that the guy who Thanks definitely is the me. most qualified radio professional has definitely had the worst microphone that we've had on this for <laughs> so such a long time. And that is I know. I'm so no, it's, sorry. It's good, man. I'm it's sure relatable. You- it's good. You know, you're like you're just like you're just like the rest of us with no, you're not. This is actually it's the ultimate sign of your privilege. That like you didn't need to set up your own home with a microphone <laughs> during COVID. Because you have a real, really you don't need a fake radio station because you still have a real one you can go to. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I should have used my studio, uh, my my brand new studio. Um, uh, you can listen to Joel, yeah, by no. the way, um, as part of uh, the now. What's it called? Is it called uh, Joel, Ricky, and Tim? Tim, Tim, <laughs> it's, Joel. It's Ricky Lee, Tim, and Joel. It's a. Um, <laughs> Really rolls off the tongue. Um, yeah, no, I'm, 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 I've stayed at the back. Uh, uh, yeah, on Nova, um, you can download the podcast as well uh, as you can do with yeah, all the of these sort of things if you're not able to listen to it live. Um, but also, yes, you did write an autobiography when you were 25, and it is, it is really yeah. good. I do highly recommend oh, it. You. It's a really fun, uh, and so many fun and funny stories and you know interesting stories about your life and growing up yeah. i really enjoyed that book and um oh, uh, what else is this uh, you mentioned like a special that's available somewhere to watch it, like uh yeah i did a stand-up yeah. special i shot it outdoors um it's called queen of the outback um i shot it in broken hill last year um down the main street um during the broken hill which is a drag festival yeah, right. um during the Broken Heel Festival. So they were, I felt a bit kind of rude interrupting a drag festival to be like, hey, I'm just um, I'm just going to sh- spend an hour and a half shooting a Prime, Amazon Prime special, uh, not in drag um, and not even mention drag. So if that's cool with, yeah. with you. And it was it was quite tough because you like normally in a theatre you can control the elements, yeah. but this is outdoors, there's food trucks uh-huh. and fireworks, but it was it was very cool. But uh, so, so but, people can yeah, watch that on Prime Video. Prime Video, okay, yeah. nice one. Yeah, and uh, so I've got a couple more questions, and then I'm going to let you yeah. go. So um, <laughs> on my uh, desk, I used to have a little thing that said, uh, "What would you attempt if you knew you could not fail?" So I ask you the question: If you were guaranteed success, so like you don't have to worry about whether it's going to work or not work. It's guaranteed to work. What would you try if you knew that it was definitely going to work? Oh, I'd love to – I would genuinely love to move into a 
a more like in, into a more journalism type role. Um, like, a, like I'd love to be a news anchor. Uh-huh. I think that's what okay, I'm trying to say. I'd okay. love to be a, a news like CNN yes. news, like 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 a or a correspondent. Um, I, I it's all I watch. I watch the news around the clock. I am obsessed with the news. I like like uh, and, I, and I'll, I'll I'll go through all of them. Like CNN, I'll. I'll I'll dip into a bit of Fox just to get the other side of the story yes. for a hate watch. Um, I love. I just love consuming live news, and I think as a result, I've to me news anchors are rock stars. Okay. I, I like, like this. Something I would love yep. to do, but no one would ever like. I I even sort of floated the idea with yeah. my manager once, and with this voice, uh, <laughs> and. And, I mean, not, and I guess the not, start to my career, yet, I don't think no But, like, you know, no. over the years, like, I mean, you don't you don't want to lean into, like, news anchor at this stage of your life, but there's a point where you could, like, transition into news anchor, you know, mate? That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, like, for you sure. Know, you age into it. You yeah. Know, and then, and then, yeah, okay. I've got to get it all out of my system yes, now. Yes, and then you know, like, you started yeah. at 50, you do it until you're 80. Like that's your last thirty yeah. years, you know. That's perfect yeah. for news anchoring, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, that's what I'd probably do if yeah. I. Yeah, yeah. I always wanted to be a pilot. I always wanted. I still want to learn how to fly, but you know, I can't. Tommy Little and yeah, I already right. too similar. Um, I can't get my pilot's license. I mean, <laughs> if, like, if, yeah. And I think it, if more than one comedian starts getting their pilot's license, it's like, okay, this is like we can't all be getting our pilot's maybe. license now. This is. <laughs> I know. Yeah, for him, one one of yeah. us, cool. Yeah. All of yeah, us, this wankers. is not right. We've done <laughs> this is this is a weird new trend. Um, so, uh, final question, my friend. Um, so, if, if I had a time machine and I could offer you a round trip to anywhere in the future or anywhere in the past. You can visit your own self, change something in your life, or you can just ignore yourself. It's like you can just go to something, you know, see something. What are you curious about? I don't mind. But where, where would you go? Oh, God. I don't think I'd go forward. Um, my immediate reaction is to go, I don't think I'd go forward. I think I'd go, I think I'd go back. Um, certainly not back to school. Um, like those people that say, oh, school was the best years of my life. I'm like, that's tragic. Um, uh, I don't know. Maybe that, that period where I was saying yes to everything and I, I would like to go back and manage that a bit better. And, and cause it, I think it both put me, it, I mean, I, I learned so much, but it also really put me off off the industry in, in ways. So I think, yeah, if I could go back then and just and, and just calm the erratic, crazy Joel that was r- racing around the world, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd do that. Yes. But also, like, good on that kid as well. There like, was, was a lot to like. Yeah. There was a lot to like about that kid as well. And it's good to have someone come in and try to, you know, shake things up and, like, you know, throw themselves into it. And you know what? You only get opportunities if you're good. That is the truth. And, you know, you you made yourself some opportunities. And, like, the great thing is, like, we're always going to have stuff we're not ready for. Fuck, man, I've been hosting Gruen for 15 yeah. years and I'm still not sure how to do it. Like, you know, I'm not. <laughs> I'm going to, like, either die in the fucking job never having mastered it <laughs> or they'll cancel it at some stage or shut down free-to-air TV or the ABC or whatever. Yeah. Whatever comes first. And I still will never have fucking worked out how to do it. Like, that's the thing you yeah. realise as you get older is you never. Like, you know, it's all a series of successes and fuck-ups along the way and, 
yeah, you're a you're a nice young man, and it's been a pleasure to have this conversation oh, with you. I I like you a lot, Thanks, and um, I'm very pleased for all your success. Thank you so much for uh, doing the show, Joel. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. And if you need to um, borrow my mic, yeah. it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. about 25 bucks from Kmart. Yeah, so. I feel like <laughs> they've charged you at least $20 more than you got value out of that microphone. <laughs> Listener.